This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here, go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. And today, I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, if nothing else, we're at least going to provoke you into thought. And whether you agree or disagree with what we talk about, I can assure you that there will be lively and, and spirited conversation. And my goal, more than anything else in this podcast today, and I typically don't even start podcasts with goals, is to challenge everybody to think differently. I feel like so many times we're in an industry where we're regulated, where you know we're constantly looking over our shoulder to make sure that we're getting applications signed the right way and we're keeping things filed the way we're supposed to and everything's rows and columns and it lends to not having creativity. But there's something that I've said for my entire career and it goes back to when I worked in the retail sector with Target and that is I don't think true creativity is thinking outside the box. Anybody can think outside the box. I think real creativity happens when you figure out a way to do something inside the confines of the four walls that nobody else has thought of before. And that's what we face in the insurance industry because we do have rules and regulations and things we have to do. But there's also a lot of things that I think that if we push the envelope, we could have it make a little more sense and operate a little bit more like other industries do. And my guest today has a ton of ideas. Um, I'm not going to say I agree with all of them because I don't even know what all of them are yet. But I do know <laughs> that we agree on quite a few. And uh, I'm just happy to have Billy Van Jura from Birchyard on the podcast. So before we get started, Billy was telling us the story of how he named his his agency, which is hilarious. But uh, why don't you just give him a, a quick background and then let's give him the meat, man. We got about 50 minutes that we can go off. I mean, the short version is I you can find a resume on LinkedIn if you want it. It's not much of a resume. I don't think I've put together a resume since like 2002. Spent eight and a half years at Liberty Mutual. I know a lot of us have. There's a lot of super successful ex-Liberty Mutual guys out there. <laughs> a friend of mine helped me go independent in 2011, merged that into a bigger company in 2016, sold that in 2019, and then restarted from scratch again in early 2020. As far as the, the name goes, yeah, I didn't know what to call it, but I knew for certain I wasn't putting my last name on it. And that was in 2011. Like I, I knew I didn't want to be tied to it because that was one of the problems I was having at Liberty is like they wanted to talk to you. And I was like, well, if my name's not on the door, that should be easier down the road. 
I had a birch tree in my front yard and I liked it. And one day I said, well, birch yard, that should work just fine. And I took a couple of pictures and I had someone turn it into a logo and birch yard it is. Um, so <laughs> yeah, that that's the, the briefest of origin stories I could probably do. Hey man, whatever works. I was going to say, I was probably almost as quick as you were, although great Myrtle probably wouldn't work too well, but that's what, that's what was outside of my sable, sable palm. Yeah. Outside of my, actually that one's not bad. You know, sable palms risk or something. I'm I'm full of just fantastic names for insurance agencies. I know. I didn't know you though. Based on foliage and yards in Florida. (laughs) So, um, I got your email, Billy, with some things, you know, some ideas for for uh, questions to ask. Actually, the first one that you brought up was, um, you know, talking about a better definition of middle market in a hundred percent. Right. We talk middle market all the time. But to me, even inside the middle market, I've begun to see three separate distinctions in middle market. So I feel like it's gotten so broad with what people call middle market. And we even had a carrier rep in here today who was talking about, oh, we write middle market. And you know, a good one for us is thirty five thousand in premium. I'm like, well, that's not, that's not middle really market for us. Middle that's market, a big company. Per, you know, per per se. But you know, I think it used to be that we reserved middle market for you know things that were a couple hundred thousand in premium up. Now I see people refer to middle market as anything from twenty five thousand to five hundred thousand in premium. And it, you know, if you're going to call it that, that's fine. But let's look inside of what we're calling this expansive range. 25 to 100,000 to me is if you're going to call it middle market, it's really large, small commercial. I mean, it, up to 100,000, the things that motivate the buyer, the conversations that you have, the conversations you can have surrounding risk are still relatively elementary. I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not throwing shade at anybody's intellect, but these organizations just aren't complicated enough to have to talk about alternative risk transfer and all of the other things that we might talk about with a middle market company. And many times you've got one person who's wearing the same hat to do six different jobs and they just don't have the bandwidth or capacity, which is, you know, we do have opportunity there, but the reality is they're still very much price conscious. They're, they're not as concerned about coverage. They really don't want to take the time to learn about it. So you have to be okay with a lower close ratio and a more transactional, more traditional type insurance sale, as opposed to what we do in our agency. The next band I have is 100 to 250, and I think that's where my producers are always going to be the most successful because you're above that small, large, that large, small commercial, but you're still not quite on the radar of the national brokerages. And then the third band is anything 250 and above, and it's a much different skill set there than it is 100 to 250 or the 25 to 100. I prefer to stay at 250 and above if I can. Um, just because I can at this point, that's what I've done. I understand those businesses. I know what makes them tick, how to talk to them um, and all of that. I would probably struggle heavily at the 25 to 100 because that's just not how I'm conditioned at this point. Kyle is exceptional at that 100 to 250, and that's where he needs to be exceptional because we have a never-ending amount of opportunities down here that are going to fit in that range and actually even bigger. But that's geographic circumstance too, like – I can go to Florida. I was telling somebody the other day, there's a lot of people who can go out and say, oh, there's 25,000, 25,000, 25,000. I can do the same thing with quarter million dollar accounts down here. So it's not even really fair unless you understand that there's a conversion factor between what that means in like Indianapolis versus what that means in Tampa, because they're two very different things. But I think that the key thing in all that is what you said is that 
but who's paying attention to that guy? Because it's not that who's paying attention from a sales standpoint, it's that you're paying attention to him, right? You you said initially you have a tools that can sort of help that that you know 100 to 250, sort of the 25 to 100, but the sheer fact that they're available, right? And that you could do that, then you have other processes in place. I think that's the part that's going to get interesting, right? You are in a position probably better than most to think that in the same way, like, I understand you place insurance, right? But you distribute insurance on behalf of companies. That's what you do. Insurance is a product. It's not one size fits all. You help get it out there. And I am, see, that's where that, that saying that middle piece is so fascinating because the 25 to 100,000 counts want you. Like, like they, they, they want to know they can do it. And honestly, they would probably sacrifice the attention. I wouldn't say sacrifice service per se, but like they don't need David coming and showing up. But it's just such a sweet spot that's so overlooked. And you said it, like the, these bigger operations, a buddy of mine, uh, I think it was Friday or Saturday, he told me, he did a bowling alley for like 40 grand. All right, it's 40 grand, done, signed, sealed, delivered. It left a very large operation that just couldn't be bothered with this account. Same guy pays, uh, what's it called? Pays huge dollars to get this thing working. And now he'll never, sorry about that if you're hearing that. Uh, the, the account's just a layup. It's paid in full, done for the year, right? Mm -hmm. He paid this thing in full for the year, but you don't want anything to do with it. Why don't you want anything to do with an account that paid you $40,000 in full and wants nothing from you for the rest of the year? And that's where I think defining the middle market better of who's going to get what services, these accounts grow. I don't know. I just think it's interesting. Well, you know, so the thing is, though, but this is a really good point, because if you look at other industries and, you know, I think that a lot of industries, as far as how sales staffs and things are structured, it's similar. Like, I'm not going to go into one of my accounts and ask to have an introduction to whoever's selling them payroll. And they're going to introduce me to somebody who only specials specializes in accounts with five to 25 employees. I'm going to get a middle market payroll rep, whatever that definition of middle market is. But other people see that where I think one of the areas, and, and I'm not going to go full software model on you, but I do think there's a certain amount of credence we should give to service level agreements based on the size of, of a company. So for our from our standpoint, that 25 to 100, you're 100% right, man. Um, I, I agree with you. They don't necessarily need me. They need to know they can get to me if they need me, but they need to be able to self-select the resources that they need. And that's our job when we're in discovery, when we're selling to them. The other thing is from, from my side, and, and I'm putting on my producer hat here, not my agency principal mm -hmm. hat, but from my side, if I'm the producer, it, well, let me take it back. I'm going to put my agency principal hat on. I don't want my producers worrying about all of that. I don't want them worrying about the deliverables. Their job is not you know, to make sure the deliverables are done. Ultimately, it might fall on them, but their job is to go out and produce more business. I can't scale my business if we write accounts and then 75% of my producer's time is spent implementing everything. That's why mm -hmm. we decided we were going to have a full-time person that handles nothing but delivering what we promised at the point of sale. And that's why we have Abby at this point. So we have tailored our tech stack around having different sizes, even if if it's inside the you know the all encompassing middle market, and then we have somebody who's on staff that makes sure all of that's getting done, and then I'm updated at a high level at that point. So, for example, 
KPA is one of the softwares that we use. KPA has a ton that it is capable of doing. It can issue or it, it can it can do OSHA uh, reporting. It can uh, monitor the certificates for subcontractors that my clients are using. Uh, it can monitor you know the expirations on driver's license and vehicle tags. It's got a learning management system, safety handbook, human resources handbook, ask an expert for all of that. That product does not belong in that $40,000 bowling alley because there's no way they have the capacity to even do their part of it, even if I give them a resource. But that doesn't mean they may not have issues. So that's why we have Mineral. Mineral is far more plug and play. And the difference is with KPA, I pay per account. With Mineral, I pay a flat fee for the year. I can let any number of people that I want use it. We can use it in the prospecting process, but one of the things that we've made the decision on is everybody who comes in automatically gets mineral. If they're going to get upgraded to KPA, that is a pro producer level decision. And we're going to agree that we're willing to put the resources at the agency level in to helping them build it out because the revenue on the account justifies it. The need justifies it. But honestly, most importantly, the level of cooperation that we are guaranteed from our prospect at the time dictates we're going to go ahead and do this. They're telling us they're going to do their part of it. We're going to keep them on a short leash, but I'm willing to make the investment. So it's never, I'm not, I shouldn't say it's never, it's not really about the fact that I pay per, because it's not a huge dollar figure that I pay per account. It's more the amount of work we have to do on the back end. And some of these, like your bowling alley, for example, maybe, maybe they want to figure out whether or not they need to fire somebody. Somebody has been late for work two or three times, or they've been no call, no show. Most of the time, and I don't know if you experience this in your agency or not, they're going to call me right? or they're going to call the producer and say, hey, should I fire this person? I don't yeah. want my producers giving HR advice out to anybody. <laughs> no. You know, It's pretty it's clear so on your e and too. too. Like yeah, it's, it's, it is. It's, it, it's, well, it was until like, I gave you. Hell yeah, I gave fire you, him. Until I gave you guys the opportunity to pass the buck, right? Now, now we can just say, well, yeah. actually, this is one of the reasons we gave you that 800 number. Hmm. You're going to get an attorney or a Sherm designated HR person who's going to give you the exact right answer, you know, that you're going to be in compliance legally with as much as I would love to help you. The best way I can help you is give you the best resource possible. And it makes I'm us look it. good. I am not an attorney or nor am I. An account. I make it very clear. I somebody asked that the other day. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like not my thing. Here's what mm -hmm. I did. Here's some suggestions. Try to go backwards for a sec. That tool you said, because I think this is part of what prompted me talking with you today. Uh, tracking certificates with subcontractors and stuff. I, I'm sure you're in a similar position, but but quite literally, if you do that tracking correctly, this is where the middle market thing comes back and gets interesting. Like you, if you're tracking these certificates correctly, you're quite literally never running out of new prospects. Exactly. Like, like you just no advertising dollars, no nothing. Like quite literally, you just have names and addresses and contact information. And everything's there, and it's that double-edged sword kind of thing, right? Like. You shouldn't be going after most of them, but you can certainly identify the ones you should be going after. But at the same time, it's like, gosh, they're right there. Like there, there's a Joe Blow picked up his first plumbing subcontracting job and it's just Joe Blow and his cousin and there's two guys and there's one van and like they are not a Florida Risk Partners account. They could be in like five years, right? And that's that's one of those things where I think so many people are so busy writing who they want to be writing the A clients or the B clients and they're not thinking ahead. And then there's this whole bucket of customers that doesn't need very much from you, but you just got to give them a chance, you know, and I know it's risky, but like, how do you 
how do you undo your mindset of, oh, man, I could talk to anybody and sell anything and just kind of pass on those leads, right? Like, like that's, you have so many things, which makes it easier to pass on things. But at the same time, it kills me not getting back to all the opportunities. It still does. Even if I'm disciplined, it still crushes me to not call back 10 or 12 people in a week that I could. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, and I'm sure that there's some question as to how you should approach people, especially with all the changes that are happening with digital marketing, specific to email and text and all of that. But I mean, from my perspective, even if you don't put like my thought process is, oh, heck yeah, man, here's a never ending list. Let's just keep dropping them into our CRM and drip on them through our 12 month solicitation calendar. If they don't yeah. want to be part of it, we've got the unsubscribe. They can get out. Very few people actually unsubscribe to that, which blows my mind. But you know, that's number one. If I didn't want to go down that route, at the very least, if I'm actually going to help my clients prepare for their audits, which we do, I'm going to be going through that list. Why not just make it a rule that if your client's got X number of certificate holders in their database and they're providing that for an audit, that you look for the top 10%. Who's, who's the top 10% that I want? that I can go to my client and say, look, as I was preparing for your audit, I noticed that you're doing work with this group, this group, and this group. Would you have a problem making a warm introduction for me? I've been trying to get in there for a while and I know we can help them, but I just can't get past the gatekeeper. Is there any way you can help me? It doesn't take any effort, Billy. It just means yeah, you have it. to slow down and pay attention. That's it. And what one of your clients that you, you know, have, you know, been helping along the way is going to say no to that. Like that's such an easy ask. You're like, no, nobody's gonna be like, yeah, I don't know, David. I don't, I don't think I want to do that for you. <laughs> like what? Here's a, here's another thing. Here's, here's some gold for you producers. If you, if you don't want to do that, if you feel weird doing a great job for your client and asking them for an introduction after you've done exceptional work for them, why not just pick up the phone, call that certificate that the person who has the certificate and say, Hey, just wanted to touch base. Um, I'm doing some audit prep work for such and such. I represent them on the insurance side and I'm auditing the certificates of insurance and just had a couple of quick questions for you. Can you answer them for me? Number one, you're going to now begin dialogue right out of the box. And in the back of their mind, they're going to be wondering who the heck my, my agent doesn't do this for me. What do you mean you're prepping for the audit? And you can always drop things in there too. Like, you know, this is just, it's not a big deal. You're not, you don't have anything to worry about. This isn't going to cost you any money. It's just a service that we provide our clients to make sure they're not overpaying. I'm giving every message I have to, to open the door for a sales opportunity. And if there's if that person on the other end is likely going to bite, but I mean, I've even had it. We have a um, Florida risk partners has a very, very close name to a very well-known roll up in the insurance industry. Um, they have risk partners in theirs too. First let first name is different. And we get a lot of the phone calls for them. I okay. somehow rank better than they do for their own name on Google. <laughs> so when there's an issue, we get phone calls. And, you know, back in the old days when I was answering the phone, which I don't do it as much anymore, but I would answer the phone and inevitably I would almost be able to predict. I don't recognize the number. That's not a call in because we really don't have a digital budget yet. I'll answer the phone. I've been asking for this certificate for whoa, 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 hold on a second. Deep breath. Tell me what's going on. I asked for this certificate three days ago. We've been getting held up for a job, blah, 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 blah. Like, well, hold on a second. What do you mean you've been waiting on a certificate? Well, I've sent the email. Hold on. I think you may have the wrong company. 
I'm not 100% sure, but I think you might have the wrong company because our clients don't wait for certificates. We actually have technology in place that allows our clients to pull their certificates in real time. You actually could have had your certificate faster than emailing me asking me to generate it. You could put it in your end user's hands faster than you could email or call. So that's why I say that if you were our client, you would have gone through the portal unless you had special language. Did you go through our portal? Well, no, I've never been given the portal. I said, well, what agency are you trying to call? And then they would say, they said, well, it sounds to me like, and I've actually converted clients just on a phone call because somebody's pissed. They didn't get an insurance certificate in enough time. But again, this goes back to, we have to be quick on our feet too. Like you can't just be a big dumb animal trudging through life, drinking beer, swinging golf clubs and hoping for the best. That's not going to get it done, especially in a hard market. So the producers that actually can think that way and be quick on their feet and realize there are so many entry points into these accounts that are right in front of our face every single day, you just got to slow down to speed up, man. Even at an even more simple level, it, it's not the correct phrasing, I guess, but the I don't give an F muscle is what I refer to it as. Just making that phone call to that certificate holder as an exercise of, I'm just going to make a phone call. There is literally no harm in that phone call. Yeah, what's the worst that's going to happen? Nothing, right. except... I, I can speak with confidence and I'm confident you guys would agree. The more of those phone calls you make, easier all the phone calls make, not just those mm-hmm. phone calls, every phone call. Like, I literally make those in, in the equation. Um, so we, I, the underlying plan what we're trying to do now is I, I buy agencies, right? So you take, we get beat up for a few months afterwards because the other agency wasn't doing something or was doing something or didn't follow up on phone calls. So to your point, the way you reframed that, I'm like, it's not even a sale at that point. All you let them know is you're not the old guy and that's not the way we do things around here and we're going to get this stuff fixed. Like there's no selling. It's just now they're like, oh, wait a second. And I'm like, no, no, no. We're Like you said, like it's already done. Like what you just asked us to do, I literally just emailed it to you. And they're like, oh, well, it would have taken three days. And I'm like, yeah, that's just not us. And I'm like, oh, okay. And now, like you said earlier, the service levels, you established that early. They don't bother you later. Like, it's just, I, I don't know. It just seems so elementary, you know, but. But that's the thing. We, we make we make our business far more complicated than we need to. And, you know, at the end of the day, I look at the insurance industry in two different buckets from a producer standpoint, selling product, solving problems, solving problems includes selling a product if necessary. But either way, one of those two things, one of those two schools of thought is where most people are going to fall. I'm not going to tell you one's right over the other. I can tell you I prefer going in, visiting the sick, solving their problems, in, uh, enhancing their risk profile, and ultimately you know, getting a client for life. It's a lot easier to do it when you solve major problems than it is going in and quoting every year. But I also have friends that have multi-million dollar books of business that do it the other way. So who am I to tell them they're doing it wrong? Financial evidence points to the complete opposite. But at the end of the day, man, I think we just, we we make it too hard. And I don't know if it's a factor of people are looking for excuses because they have call reluctance or they don't want to do, you know, specific activities is their job. But, you know, one of the things that when I'm, when I'm working with people from a coaching standpoint, especially agency principals that I feel like they have completely wrong is they're they're not, they're not even establishing what the expectations in terms of behaviors are for producers from the very beginning. They're just, it's, it's never understood. 
it, it's you need to go out and write this much business to validate this year. Great. How do I do that? Well, how I was told is, well, that's up to you to figure out. You're the sales guy. Just know that you have a year to get it done. Or, you know, you'll hear people say, yeah, you know what sales book I got? The phone book. They just handed it to me and told me to start dialing. Well, that's fine. But we really do have the ability to say, if you do X number of telemarketing calls, X number of marketing drops, and you follow this pattern, we know this is going to turn into sales success for you. So we want to outline and train on the behaviors first, because we know if we monitor those to execution, that we're going to get the end result. And if we don't, then we at least know where we can troubleshoot. But I don't know that I've ever seen it, that if people hit their metrics on what we expect from a behavior standpoint, that they don't hit their production numbers. Yet every time you turn around, you hear agency principals talking about how hard it is to find producers, how hard it is to keep producers. Well, yeah, because they're working on a moving target that nobody's ever defined for them or given them the tools or or the equipment necessary to do their job. Yeah, I <laughs> know. I mean, like it, it's take that thought there. And I guess I wonder if they were doing this, right? I wonder about my own stuff. If I went to a call center, we're not, we don't need to name names. There's plenty of very large operations that do a lot of advertising that are primarily call center type operations. There's a piece of me that thinks, maybe not you per se, right? But, but if these operations were doing what their PR teams say they're doing, they should be just wiping the floor with insurance agencies. Right, like they should just be eating up business left and right. But yet, I've never heard anyone like tell a story about how people, man, my service was so good. I referred you back to not not call center, you know what I mean? But like sent you back to uh, Zebra or Jerry or Next. Like I've never heard anybody saying like that's a great way to refer, which is why when you describe your sales process and your metrics, I, I say to myself, man, like, you didn't just describe rocket science. You described kind of a sales one-on-one approach, right, uh, <laughs> right. Uh, of stuff. And yet I look around and I'm like, man, like there's a lot of really well-funded operations with a lot of human beings working for them. Maybe they're just not in New York. Maybe somehow my people just like me and they ignore their phone calls. But man, I just feel like what you just described is certainly not happening on a mass scale. And that's where if you go back to your middle market statements in the beginning, I feel like that's that next level when, when a real distributor gets in there and irons out all the tech and then puts into it that that human approach that you would do on a main street flights out. I mean, it's a billion in premium in the first year or something like that. Just, just, just a stupid amount of sales is going to come if you can blend those two things, you know? Just my thought. I'd love to put your process in a call center, you know? I think that a lot of people these days just don't want to work. <laughs> like they don't want to, <laughs> they don't want to do the stuff that's, I mean, we've talked about it several times, but like, you know, you bring up the numbers and the metrics, like people just don't want to do it. People just want stuff to be handed to them. They think that because chat GPT exists and because lead sources exist, that they should just get stuff funneled to them and not really have to do anything. And they should just be able to reach out one time and get the deal done. And that's just, that's just not how it works in the real world. But for whatever reason, like <laughs> people have been kind of, I don't know, like pushed in that direction of thought. And it's kind of, it's my, excuse me, it's my generation, like instant gratification, um, you know, people feeling entitled to things. It's just like, I don't know, man, it's, it's an interesting topic, but I, I feel like it has some validity to it. Well, the other thing yeah. too is people don't, I think that leaders, unless they are used to it, unless they've been properly educated and trained, 
they don't like or even know how to hold people accountable, right? So I mean, let's it's uncomfortable for people to do, right? Because I don't have a problem with it. I never have. Like, if you're not doing your job, that's not my choice. That was your choice not to do the job. I'm simply going to point it out to you. Yeah. And, and 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 the reason I'm able to do that is because we have, you know, we want to have those predetermined behaviors. So if you don't do them, it's really a simple question. Why didn't you make your phone calls last week? That's it. Like, that's all I have to do to manage it. You need to make your phone calls this week. If it happens two weeks in a row, I'm going to probably have a little bit different framework around the question. Three weeks in a row, we're probably going to start figuring out what what we're going to do to move you along. Yeah, we're we're in that spot. And I guess there's a piece of me that I don't want to say generational. Like, I don't I can't disagree with you. But there is this piece of me that's like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you just got to put in the work. Like, you just got to put in the reps. This isn't overly complicated. Like, you have to you have to do things, right? Mm-hmm. And if you continue to do these things, these things are going to produce a result or they're not going to. But you still have to put in the reps, right? And, and we said earlier about, like, phone calls. Like, yeah, every week without fail, I will just make some calls or send some emails. I don't care if you respond. I don't care if you're unhappy with me. I will make that call. I will leave that voicemail. I'll do whatever. Because it sets up the next thing. Like it, it just sets that whole thing out there. And, it, and it's, I don't know, it's kind of baffling. But um, so let me ask you, I know it's like the certificate thing and like funneling leads and things like that. It's one of the topics. I say the word distribution. I think insurance is, you're a guy that writes insurance. You're two guys that help people buy insurance. You do a service, you provide a service to these commercial accounts of yours. If you dial it back down to the smaller level, right? Uh, the electrician that was at my house this morning, who it's him and another guy, and they got one van, they would not be a customer of yours, right? But they're that very basic level of insurance. I, I look at distribution of these products as if we can get the romance out of the way. And I'm curious, like when you look ahead to, to the next iteration of your business or what's next in front of you, like I, I do think having to identify as an insurance broker, having to like some people intentionally take a slow process because it makes them feel like they're doing their work and they blame the carriers. Like, um, man, I just feel like part of that's the attitude of who we are and what we do, right? And I think you, you described two software programs earlier. I'm curious what you think about I don't think ancillary is the right word, but like, I think we as insurance people aren't earning as much as we should. I think we're undercompensated by our companies. I think part of that's the unionization of these different aggregators and clusters. But I think the other part is, you know, why should a car dealer be getting more money than you are on an auto insurance policy that has a million dollars in coverage? Because they passed the loan information along that I already have, Right. Why should a mortgage broker be making more money on a home insurance deal than you're going to make in 10 years on that same home insurance deal? Meanwhile, you already have that information in your database. I'm curious when you look ahead, because you've got a lot of things solved for you already. How do you see, I'm just going to in general say like other, like the, like the stuff around insurance that maybe you should be getting paid for? Like, is that a part of the radar? Yeah, I want to go back to one thing, though, to close the loop on the other thing we were talking about, but it ties into this. Number one, 
we have more technology at our fingertips right now to be the best producers we can possibly be than we've ever had in the history of, of our career. And I can say the same thing again next year and the following year and the following year because we continuously put out more technology. I think that with the technology we have, it has removed the majority of the excuses, if not all of the excuses, on why you're not an effective producer. And here, let me explain why what I'm what I mean by that. I'm a big baseball fan. You're a baseball fan. Mm. I played ball, you know, my entire life. And we, I, I study sports. You know, you, you have to study beyond what's on the field to be a Tampa Bay's race, Tampa Bay Rays fan have to, because there's so many things that are happening in the front office that are material to what the work product looks like on the field. That if you don't understand that, you're just going to think that it's a team on a shoestring budget, which couldn't be further. Yes, they are, but they put a good work product out every year. How are they able to do that? They've done the it Oakland better A's, than almost anybody, dude. In the Oakland A's who invented that right. suck. Like what dude. happened there, right? Yeah. They knew, they're the ones Where's who came Billy out with Bean Moneyball. At now? But my point with this is if you're making your phone calls every day, everybody out there that I know of, like the overwhelming majority of the people out there have a VoIP system now. Very few people operate on a landline. I'm not saying they don't. There are people who do. But I think that the majority of the people that are technologically forward-thinking enough to listen to a podcast are probably on a VoIP system. If you're not, sorry about that. Probably ought to look into it. And the reason why is because if my producers are hitting their numbers, they have that ability to go back and listen to their calls just like as a ball player, I have the ability to go back and watch tape. Like if I get in a slump when I'm hitting, what's the first thing I'm going to do? What was I doing when I was hitting 400 for that six-week period? Mm -hmm. Let me go look at the tape. Did I do something different in my stance? Is the zone that I'm looking for pitches different? Like we have so many things that we can listen to. And that's that's just going in and using our own ears to hear and notice things. That doesn't even count, you know, some of the AI that's out there that can analyze phone conversations and point out different things to you, like missed opportunities for cross-sell or whatever else. So I think that part of the issue is we have to want to be better because we have to right say it's too now. it's too easy for people not to. And so that goes to the attitude piece, right? right? Having the right work ethic, the right attitude, having your head in the right place. But to, to Billy's point about what are you, what do you see the next iteration looking like? I don't know, man. Like I'm honestly in, I, I'm blown away. I know that you referenced, you know, chat GPT in there. And I think that that certainly is, is, is made a, a huge shift, but again, you know, I'm going to be devil's advocate here. We already got a lot of tools that could do us a lot of good in, People don't use them now, so why is ChatGPT any different? Other than they think that it's a quick way to generate content and other stuff. When, but when you look into some of the real applications that it could solve for us, it's a whole different animal, man. Like there are so many different things we can use that tech for. But even its most basic uses are beneficial to the industry. Where I think what I think the issue is, and why I think you know we we have this this predicament that we're in, is because agencies just don't do a good job of knowing their numbers, the data that they have and what it's worth, man. I mean, I just, I don't think that they understand And I'm not saying it's because they're stupid. I just don't think, I, I think that we, I think the thing that gets us in trouble is what attracts so many people to our industry. You can make a really good living doing just enough to get by. <laughs> so I, yes. And I know these people and I think, uh, I, I was talking about this morning. I'll probably talk about it tomorrow. Like, how could you not admire the guy that figured out how much money they need to earn, right? The guy or the gal, they, they figured out their money, their workload, their schedule. 
I've, I've called on guys. We close from 12 to one for lunch. We close at three o'clock on Fridays. On one Wait, hand, you're like, are these guys gosh. in Spain? <laughs> no, they're, <laughs> up, they're, they're upstate New York, but it's like, how can you not admire that? Now, that doesn't mean I don't admire what you're doing with Florida Risk, but like, you know what? They figured out what works for them. Yeah. And they've been making this money for decades, 30, 40 years. They're making the same amount of money. They're living in a lower, uh, not low class, not bad, but like a, a lower cost of living situation. And they're riding it out. Who's better than that guy? You know how hard it is to buy a guy that knows the math, that knows no matter what you pay him. He can make more than you in the next four or five years, right? It's just and there's a place for that, but then but it's obviously not the people that are listening to this podcast. And it, no, and it no, just no. is like it's like <laughs> that's the whole point though, is you can go out knowing that there are people like that out there and just crush them. And yeah. and that that's what we're talking about, though, right? I mean so, so take your chappy GPT thing and your baseball reference. I would encourage you to try Astro Ball by Ben Reitner, Reitner, R-E-I-T-N-E-R, I think it is. He That's does one where you good... put cameras in center field to spy on your competition? or so. <laughs> I think it's like that, a trash can system, like a, yes. like a banging. But but if you look at systematically, like if you, before that stuff happened, they took the organization down to its core and found some things. They went down to the minor leagues. They rebuilt stuff. They took in outsiders to look at situations. And I guess... My point on that is I think it's enjoyable. Like if you enjoyed Moneyball, you'll enjoy this because there's a story to it, but also a, they got out. They stayed within the parameters of baseball. Like you said, they stayed within the, inside the rules of the game, brought in some minds that were not already in the game and said, how could we rebuild this? Like, and and in many baseball situations, it's rebuilding your minor league system, but it's also taking better care of your minor leaguers. It's doing certain things differently. But like you said, with chat GPT, Listen, I think there's more money to be made immediately and in the near future with collaborating with the right partners than with using any sort of technology. I think it, it baffles me that there is so many new, you know, these fintechs and these insure techs that don't go talk to and find pockets of data and instead will blow their entire investment portfolio on acquisition when they could collaborate. I, I, think, a, I think a bank, you can go sign up with ChatGPT and get all the leads you want. Or you could go find a forward-thinking bank and figure out how to leverage your data with their products. I think you'll make more money. And I think it goes back to like, it's not that you're going to make more money. It's that you're going to discover a system that's going to work, right? Like there's a book I read about the guy that uh, laid out the power grid around Chicago. It wasn't about electricity. It was about how to distribute electricity. It was like, you know, how to get the lines to certain places and why you get them there. I think there's more money to be made from collaborating with the data because there's just Hate to say it, but there's kind of too much of it. Right? Like, where do you where do you go with all the information you have? And it comes down to most people choose not to do anything, and those that will reinvent the wheel. You know, they're going to reinvent how to do things. Um, Let me give you an so. example of why I know you're right in in the fact you don't even need technology. So. Two years ago, I'm, well, let me say a blend, a blend of of light tech. Okay, and if you and I'm counting a website as part of that, so maybe not really tech at this point. But a couple of years ago, when we were getting ready to launch personal lines here, before all the everything fell out, and I decided we're not doing personal lines, I was all in. I wanted to get in, make our mark, do everything we could, and I realized that I could actually be very effective in getting inbound leads through direct mail of all things. 
direct mail. The oldest marketing trick that you have other than maybe telemarketing. I also found out that I could go to Kohl's and I could get a list of everybody that was in the zip codes that I wanted them in. I could export that list and then I could filter it by home value and trim the top and the bot the top and the bottom off. So I'm focusing on that subsection in the middle that I wanted. I wanted the stuff that was a quarter million to 600,000 in home value. That's all I was worried about because the majority of that is what's around where my offices are. Then we put together a postcard, drove it to a landing page, completely blown away that the domain improvemyrates.com was even available, but it was, so I bought it (laughs) and put out a postcard with a nice image on the front that went to a landing page. And we probably, I'm not going to look, I'm not going to tell you we blew it up, man, but I also think part of understanding distribution is understanding what the benchmarks are, like what's acceptable and what's not. What's an acceptable open rate for email? What's an acceptable click-through rate? What's an acceptable length of time on page? What's an acceptable bounce rate on your website? These are things we can monitor. And so with the direct mail, I went in with really, really low expectations. And I put a budget behind it. It was probably, I want to say it was probably around $1,000. And we shot something out to 1,200 homes. And it was for one month. It was only for the people that were renewing two months from now. And that's it. We had over a hundred leads come in, man. Like ten percent of the things we sent out yeah, on direct I was mail. Say, it's what, absurd. It, right. It's absurd. direct mail, something like one percent. So why aren't yeah. we doing that as an industry? Like why why are we like you know who's figured it out? The freaking captives have figured it out. I get stuff from State Farm and Allstate and Geico all oh, the yeah. time. Every and it's dude, cheap like, to do. That's why week. they do it every day. That's yeah. why they continue to put it out. Mm-hmm. Postcards are your friend, man. Po- postcards are are Tremendous. And so the list thing, one of our carriers up here, their regional one called Plymouth Rock. Um, Plymouth Rock has a rate for every address in New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, and Connecticut. They already have their rate. It's already set. You just got to type in the address and here's the rate. This is the coverage you have to take. This is the pricing. You can change certain filters, but really it's done. So she says, well, send us three addresses and we'll tell you the risks that we want. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. So I sent her something like 5,000 addresses. Like a week later, she goes, here you go. Broken down by like ABC, like here's the, not not based on home size, but based on in theory, how that person scores. So instead of sending out 5,000 postcards, you sent out 250. Because now they already told me these are the 250 you want. Well, the reality is if those are the 250 that they want, they're probably who the other 10 companies that we have for, for property insurance want as well, right? So yeah, narrowing that stuff down. But like you said, with the directs, I like going to rural areas. I like getting off the main interstates and stuff. And what I can tell you definitively, Geico and Progressive have that locked down. That agent that tells me the person doesn't want to do EFT and then you find out they've had a progressive direct policy for a decade or they've had a Geico policy for 15. Like this is just true. This is just this is just how it is. And that's part of why I think like somebody like you and with a process driven thing, I think the you could sell small commercial direct. You don't need an office. You don't need any of that stuff. You need a process. You need less choices, right? You need a, a good user experience. But but there are plenty of Susie Homemaker, Joe Blow contractor, plenty of those folks out there that if you just brought them the basics, they're signing up on their phone, right? It, it's so simple. You send them a postcard as a follow-up and they're, they're, they may not call you today. And that's the beauty. Your return was that. If I had to guess, you got 10 or 15 more responses outside that period. 
that that they just didn't respond right away. And that's the beauty of that stuff. Post-cards. We did. And, and, and the reality, too, is we probably wrote maybe 10 to 15 of them. So we actually wrote like 1%. But again, okay, that's fine. I wrote 1%. Let's do it again and see what the percentage looks like. If I did that same exercise again for the next renewal month, and it also came back at around 1%, I'm probably going to reasonably predict that for every thousand things that I or 1200, whatever it was that I sent out, that I'm going to write 10 to 15. So if my acquisition cost on those is roughly a hundred dollars a piece, but with our, our rates, I'm getting the home, the auto, the umbrella, or, you know, at least two lines of coverage from each one, I'm going to be cash flow positive in year one. I think that's the other thing, man. A lot of people are so apprehensive to investing in marketing and advertising because they're looking at their P and L, and they're not—they're they're looking at this. You know, what Going am I going to make or lose on the account? Return on investment, man. The people, yeah, are they so want it now. With. Yeah, and they're giving up an opportunity to earn way more money over ten years in the lifetime of the account. When the reality is, go ahead and pay the money to get it in the door, man. Yeah, and then the other part of that too that I don't think we touched on, unless I missed it, was like some of these people own businesses that happen to be in the middle market that happened to reach out and say, hey, do you guys do commercial? <laughs> you know, like that happened several times with this one specific mail campaign that you're referencing. And but, yeah, and those other 85, this is, again, when we buy an operation, I know it's not exactly the same formula, but if you bought a list, I take all that, all every file they thought was dead. It's only dead because you don't have enough markets and you didn't follow up on it. That's why it's dead right now. I will bring that back to life. Not today, could be a year from now, could be two years from now, because now they're in the drip, right? The other 85 on that list that you've already curated are are golden, at least in my scenario, right? Where I where I would buy, say, 100 accounts or 100 dead leads. Like, the other 85, like, you're just missing stuff. Well, I think the thing, too, is, you know, I, I have friends that buy leads, and there's a lot of people out there that the second you say, Oh, I buy aged leads or whatever. Oh, you're nuts. You should never. Okay. Why? Why, why am I nuts? Is it because I have a process on how to work these that's proven that I can turn them into revenue or is it because it didn't work for you? Like which one, because you know, it's kind of the same thing. And, and I'm, I'm with you, man. Like if I'm, I'm not in acquisition mode right now, I will be within the next 12 months. Like that's my na- main goal for 25 is I want to start going out and start picking off some of these agencies that quite honestly are floundering. And I, I think that that if I'm doing it, I'm looking for exactly what you're talking about. Show me the, show me the agency that's got one line per coverage per account. That's got a bunch of dead files in there and everything else. The more paper, the better. Let me go in and clean it up because the thing is, and I would be interested in how, and I'm not asking for your secret sauce or anything, but I would be interested in, in how much this benefits you because I have a feeling that if I got if, if I acquired an agency that was heavy on the paper side and we're going to take it paperless, we're already touching the files, man. We should be talking to these people and working on rounding them out as we go. The, the biggest problem is you can make it work, but you almost need to staff up, right? Because the problem with that is I stop doing it that way. And instead I get all the data in one place first because it's just one phone call after the other. Like they're all going to land. You thought you had your 10% response rate is strong. You call on a hundred people with an existing relationship that are monoline where you already have name, address, date of birth. You can then backfill with your technology. 
listen, it's just helping them buy at that point. It's you've had X company for so many years. By the way, we've just added seven new companies to this agency. We've got a whole lot more options. We should take a look at this stuff. This would be great. And then I'd say like within the paper, you know, initially I ignored like the the boat policy or the random like one-off one. And then you started looking at it and you said, you know, I still have all the data. Now the other agent didn't bother to broker a record this boat policy for the last seven years. But, you know, Florida is a little bit different maybe, but like you got a boat still, got some money, you know, you got somewhere to put this thing. It's still a toy. It's still an extra line. And it's, you said it earlier, Kyle, like it's an immediate gratification thing. Gang, this is a long drip. And I say this, and, and there's a couple of us that work together, like we're just building a machine. And I know that what the popular term is the uh, flywheel, I think is the popular phrase out there. Uh, Jim, somebody liked it. It's a neat little book. It's not bad to read. But um, oh, who wrote it, that? Uh, is it Jim Collins or am I wrong? I don't know. Um, I don't but- know. I wanted, there was somebody <laughs> that talked about it on one of Cass's mastermind calls one time. And I don't it's remember. A big popular, it lo- it's, it's a long time. It's a, it's an older guy. that has been around for a while. It might be Jim Collins. Bill Wilson. Be, I think it's the good, the great guy, uh, Jim Collins, maybe. Or Jim oh, okay. Slick, got it. But, but the, the whole point is like what you built for yourself. You have a never ending stream of leads in there. You just got to keep feeding this thing. And after a couple acquisitions, that paper cleanup, once the carriers do the downloads and you have that stuff in there, like, you know, the agency that that didn't email anything and insisted on a fax machine, we laugh at the emails we pick up. People are like, yeah, sure, email me. Yeah, sure, text me. No problem. Like this other agent was like, no, no, we want to do this. And we're like, you know how happy somebody is when they can just take a picture and text it to you? Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I don't need to drop it off. And, and all we're getting is confirmation of what their cell phone number is and that this is okay with them for future communications. Like, like, you know, so yeah, no buying and cleaning, like to your stale lead standpoint, I'm not a huge fan of people that sell leads per se, but I look at your scenario and say, I think that's the future. I think putting lead companies out of business because you're so good at manufacturing data. I think that's, I don't know. It just, well, I was going to say, man, I don't even have, we don't have, I don't, I've never bought leads. I don't have to, because we have so, like I said, we have so much sitting in front of our faces every single day. There's really no reason to go out and do it for us. I'm not, I mean, if if that's how people want to make money again, I know a lot of people that spend money to buy leads and they buy tens, if not hundreds of thousands, they only close a small percent, but that small percent's revenue is enough to justify the work and the the amount of money they spend on the leads. So I'm not, I'm not going to knock them for doing it, but at the same time, it's just not my flavor. Right. Yeah. Um, I am a hundred percent annoyed with anybody who sells them because I think that's probably one of the most unscrupulous ends of our industry selling the same lead to five to 10 different agencies, hounding the living crap out of you on social and in, in the phone and everything to buy from them. And it's like, wow. Um, yeah, probably not going to support perpetuating this particular, um, you know, idea. But you know, I could I can understand it, and you know, I would. I think it's a great way to probably get a new producer used to calling life insurance leads, right? Buy a bunch of aged life leads, put the new kid on them, let them bang the phones, learn how to do it. You can pick up some pretty good revenue relatively quickly. But I think the other thing is to bring going back to all of this. We as agents and agency principles specifically don't do by and large. I'm not saying everybody, but 
it's really, really tough to find the time in your day to invest in your people through training. Really, really tough, really, really tough in their mind. And so they don't. And I mean, I just think about some of the low hanging fruit, some of the easy things. I mean, this is what, this is the number one reason I'm not traveling to speak anywhere for the next couple of years is because I got to be back here investing in my team. The more I'm away, the worse things get, right? And it's not like we're dealing with a dumpster fire, but we we have things we need to clean up and I have to be here in order to do that. And I need to empower my team that's here and make sure they have the tools and the education necessary to doing it. But to give you an example, if I went out and I just went through every single one of our uh, auto, personal auto accounts, if I have a, a big personal lines agency and I look at it and I go and I run a filter for everybody who has a pickup truck, I could put somebody on the phone that, that just calls all of our clients. Hey, we're doing a quality assurance check. Just wanted to talk to you. Everything good with the F-150? Perfect. You know, I don't see in our records in here um, whether or not you have a hitch on that. Would you let me know whether or not there's a hitch? Oh, there is. Good. Tell me, um, what is it that you're attaching to that hitch when you're towing things? Oh, you have a boat and two jet skis and a motorcycle trailer? Oh, my goodness. Well, I don't see that we insure any of those things. Would it be much of a problem if I were to ask you for the information so we could give you the opportunity to review what we might be able to do for you. It's right in front of you. And, and I, to your training point, I guess I view it as you've got so many leads, live fire is the way to go, right? It doesn't matter if that person says no. It doesn't matter if that person doesn't turn into a quote, because quite literally, there's 200 more of those people and the odds are in your favor, right? So I, I just, whenever we have those, and I, and I make it clear with anybody that's worked with me, like, I don't care if you close that person or not. We already have their data. We already have their policy. They're probably not going anywhere. Try a different line next time, right? And, and even like you said with, um, uh, we would say like layering, right? You said, do they have a hitch? Do they have some other policies? You know, what else do you have else? What else is out there? It's obvious most of the industry isn't doing these things, right? You said life insurance. You know what I would give to find the 25 to 28 year old version of me who was, and the Liberty guys would know this, like it was cross-sell, auto-home life, auto-home life, auto-home life. You know what I wouldn't give to find that kid that would just like call through our entire book and introduce himself with my name and say, hey, listen, you know, no, Billy, he doesn't do anything with life insurance, but we have it available. What do you have? Just to set those things up. I've been looking for, I bought a policy through AAA, you know, like a roadside company, mm -hmm. just to see how it works. And gosh, what I wouldn't give for somebody that might be hearing this that knows the company that will mail to my people a policy they could buy without taking a medical exam. Not saying it's perfect, saying the pricing's there, saying I want to see how it works. I'm saying I want to see what happens if we put 2,000 qualified addresses into that filter and you mail it to them, do we get a response, right? It's, I, I, I don't want to agree with Kyle, but I can't disagree with him, right? That immediate gratification part, like you got to fill the funnel to make it trip. Funnels don't just drip until you fill those things up. And it's like, mm -hmm. <clears throat> but, but, and then we just keep going, right? <laughs> you know, so. and the last one, and we probably need to wrap up because we got another, another yeah. group that we have to yeah, record sure. with. But, you know, the, the other thing is, again, right in front of our face, how many times are we having the umbrella conversation, right? Like, if I were going to go back into personal lines in any meaningful way, I'm going to 100% lead with umbrella every single time. Because I get to see yeah. everything else they have by leading with that. And it's the one, it's something that I feel like a lot of people don't, it's like life. It's, it's an, oh, by the way, you know, oh, well, I forgot to ask this time. I'll ask next time. No, it has to be a habit to talk about that every single time. 
So if you lead with it, you're going to talk about it every time. And you know you're not going to forget to talk about the home and the auto and everything else. It's just a way that you can change your process to make sure you're hitting the things you otherwise wouldn't hit. And you're going to see a lift in your revenue as a result of that. There's no question. Yeah. And I think it's back to that producer discussion, too. It's like, well, how how is it that there's such a struggle? I mean, that's a whole other topic about compensation and how that would really work inside an agency. But at the, the end of the day, like, it's not opportunity. That's for darn sure. Like, like that, it is not the opportunity to write business. I have enough carriers. I have enough leads, whatever you want to think of it as. But you do got to grind for a few months. You, like, you, you, I mean, it's probably a few years, but really it does take you a few months to get this thing rolling. But at the same time, where else can you just get going? Like it, that that's how everything works, right? You do have mm-hmm. to apply pressure to these things and fill these funnels up. And like, I don't know. It's just, um, I hate to sound apathetic about it, but we're just going to keep going. Like someone's going to come about and someone's going to stick and something's going to work and something's not going to work. And at the end of it, like still just going to keep calling people and helping people buy insurance. And, and uh, like you said, initially, like, I just like to think. Like if you're not thinking about things, somebody else is going to do the thinking for you, right? If you're not looking at things on an alternative level, you're going to accept certain things and just assume they're correct. But then if you stop and look at them, maybe they're not as correct, you know? Uh, there's just other ways to earn money, I guess. So for sure. nonetheless, I've enjoyed 100%. chatting with the two of you. Yeah, well, listen, Likewise. man, I really appreciate you cutting time out. And I mean, we got through like 2.5 of the points <laughs> and that doesn't even count what was on the original intake form. So I was so lazy on that. I felt terrible. I was like, man, that was Ah. a crap response. I got to, I spent a week just dropping ideas into that, into, into an email. Like I got to give more than that. So now you're good, man. What it, what it told me is you have an open invitation for us to come hash out the rest of it. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this episode because we got some people waiting in the wings, but thanks so much for taking time out of your day. Always appreciate your content, Billy. You challenge people to think differently than what, what the industry status quo would and probably views, People who think the way we do is somewhat of a threat to the establishment, but I'm perfectly fine with that. So everybody have a great day. We will catch you next time. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. 